0: Thank you, Andrew. Let's go Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. And yes, it's okay to cheat and use the table of contents. (laughs) Although I can kind of look around the room real quick and get a picture of who reads their Old Testament on a regular basis. (laughs) Micah chapter 5. While you're turning there, I'll tell you what I I tell our 4th and 5th grade children's Bible study on Wednesday nights. It's okay to not know. But this is a place where we want you to learn, so use the tools available to you and make it happen. All right, Micah chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible near you, we'll have the text up on the screens behind me in just a little bit. We also have some physical Bibles scattered around the room and the racks underneath the seats. Um, if you don't own a Bible, man, we would love for you to take that one home. We value God's word here. We believe it has the ability to to convict us of sin and draw us to repentance. We believe it's the tool that God uses to to shape us individually and as a a body called the church. We also believe it's the primary means by which God makes himself known to us as his creation. And so um, that Bible is more valuable if you take it home than it is sitting on a shelf all week for us. So if you don't have a Bible, please, I beg you, take that one. Micah. Chapter 5. We have been uh, talking about Advent stuff for a few weeks. Can we get the lights up, guys, Uh, so people can see their Bibles? Um, We've been talking about Advent stuff for the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at the themes of of hope and joy and peace, and next week we'll look at the theme of love, and what we've been saying about this is that uh, for the follower of Jesus, Advent is yes and amen about the first coming of Jesus. We rightly celebrate that. We rightly spend time talking about that and and celebrating that. There's a lot that goes into that, but for the follower of Jesus, it's not just about that. It's simultaneously about longing for and anticipating his second coming longing for and anticipating his coming again on the clouds he came first in humility as a tiny little baby who had to be fed and had to be taken care of and had to be walked along the way and taught how to live and but he's coming again on the clouds as king over all and man I long for that day I don't know about you all right maybe there's some stuff I'd like to take care of first but I long for that day I want desperately for that day to come. And so for the follower of Jesus, it's a both and thing. And what we've been saying also is that that all these themes of hope and joy and peace and love, they're not simply abstract concepts, but rather the perfect character traits of our perfect king. That hope is not just this thing that's floating out in the ether, it's, it's embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That he is the source of perfect hope. That he is the source of perfect joy. So y'all ready to look at the theme of peace this morning? I don't know, maybe you have peace already. Probably not though. (laughs) Micah chapter 5. Micah is one of the minor prophets. We call him a minor prophet not because he's less important but because he wrote less. He's one of the minor prophets uh, and uh, he is writing about the same time as Isaiah. We've been looking at the, the book of Isaiah for the first couple of weeks. We'll return to it next week. Uh, but Micah and Isaiah are contemporaries. They're, they're living at the same time in the same kind of area, and they're talking to the same people. All right? And so their, their scope is the same. All right? they're, they're both about 700-ish years before the birth of Jesus, and they're both speaking to God's people on behalf of God, and there's some problems in the camp. All right? And Micah, he doesn't write as much as Isaiah as does. Um, but man, he's throwing haymakers. Absolute haymakers. His tone is incredibly strong. All right? Incredibly strong. Um, if you remember, Isaiah calls out the pride or the haughtiness of God's people. We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. That even though they're participating in all the right religious actions that God has called his people to participate in, but that their hearts are far from him... God calls them out on that and says, hey, I don't want that. And and not only are their hearts far from them, but it's also caused them to neglect and to marginalize and sometimes outright oppress the poor and the sojourner in their midst. In Micah 3, I know we're going to be in Micah 5 for a second, but in Micah 3, God speaks through Micah to his people and says, they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Later on in in chapter 3, he says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height holy cow see what i mean about haymakers he's not mincing words here micah has very strong things to say god has very strong things to say through micah you you want to know what happens when you intermarry religious actions with a heart that has no idea who god is (coughs) problems you have problems You want to know why God felt justified in tearing this place apart through the mighty conquering nation of Assyria? Hear me, the worst thing that can happen here as a people called out by God's name will never be some outside force seeking to do us harm. And don't mishear me. Those, those, those aren't non-issues. Those aren't things that we shouldn't take precautions for. Not the worst thing, though. Just a, a cursory reading through the Old Testament will help us understand pretty quickly that, the, by a long shot, the worst thing that could ever happen here is for us to attach God's name and attach God's approval to things that are contrary, blatantly so, to His character. And so, just like Isaiah, God raises up Micah to say to his people, I'm cutting you down. I'm cutting you down. So, why do we talk about all this, right? I thought that we were supposed to be talking about Christmas stuff. Because this is the context that we need to read Micah chapter 5 in judgment is on the horizon. And in chapter 5, verse 1. Micah says this. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. All right, so Micah says that judgment is coming. War is coming soon, so get yourself ready. I mean, you're totally going to lose, but you go ahead and get yourself ready. He says, O daughter of troops. All right, um. That's literally how the, the Hebrew will render that, that, that. What's going on there is daughter in the Hebrew. Uh, but some of your translations may render that phrase city of troops. All right? um, and, and for good reason. Because most commentators will point to this verse and say, Well, we think Micah is talking specifically about the city of Jerusalem here. Right? He says that he is going to strike down the judge of Israel. And that's just another name for the king. That's a title that, that the king gets to hold. The judge of Israel. Right? And so the king is in Jerusalem. Makes sense. So gather your troops, Jerusalem. The war, the fight is coming to your door. That's basically what Micah is saying here. But what's this business about striking them on the cheek? Well, it's an insult, right? Don't think medieval. I challenge you to a duel and smack them with a glove. That's not what's going on here. Think, think ancient peoples. It was common practice in this day for you to go out of your way to humiliate the other nation's king once you beat him in, in a battle. Not simply beat them, rub, it, rub their nose in it, right? That's what's going on here. Kind of a, this is what you get for losing to us scenario. So what's, what's Micah saying here? That even the most high and lofty position in their land... It's going to be cut down. No one is safe from this. No one. They're not just going to lose. They're not just going to watch their kingdom fall. They will watch it be taken apart and used for sport. It will be made a mockery of before their very eyes. That's a happy day, right? It's a dark day. Get ready. The fight is coming. It's not going to go well for you. Oh, and oh, by the way, it's going to be a lot darker than you probably imagined at the first. But then verse 2 happens. But you. So the humiliation is apparently not the end of the story, is it? Right? Right? That's, that's what's going on in the butt. There's a, there's a shift there, and so things are changing. And so it's not just that humiliation is coming. It's not just that the war is coming to their doorstep. There's something redeeming out of this. He says, but you. So you're all starting to see a theme in our Advent series this year? The dark day is coming, but God is going to do something else. Our God's good in but you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So even though God is tearing down their kingdom, even though God is tearing down and humiliating their king, God will raise up a new king for them out of tiny, little, insignificant, potent. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Newsflash. There's nothing special about Bethlehem. If you go there today, there's still not much special about Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a little village just a little bit south of Jerusalem. And in Micah's day, when Micah is writing this about 700 B.C., all right, the only claim to fame that Bethlehem had was the birthplace and boyhood home of King David. Bethlehem was where where David was from. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament very well, here's the story. Samuel is supposed to anoint the next king of God's people. And so they're looking around. God leads him to Bethlehem. He goes to Jesse's house. As he systematically goes through all of Jesse's eldest sons, he's like, no, that one doesn't make the cut. No, that one doesn't make the cut. No, that one doesn't make the cut. And then God's like, hey, 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 hey. I don't look on the outward. I look on the heart of a man. That's what I'm judging by. And so... Samuel's like, hey Jesse, you got any more boys? He's like, well, David's out in the field. We didn't think it mattered. Figured he could keep up the work. You probably weren't going to pick him. He's like, go get him. They bring David back. and God says, that's the one. They anoint him and he's going to be the next king of God's people. David was from Bethlehem. That's where that story plays out. And even though David had massive flaws. I don't know if you've ever read through the life of David. He's a train wreck. And even though David had massive flaws, everybody in Micah's day would look back on that and go, man, if we could just get back to David's time. I'd take me some David right now. It snowballed and gotten worse and worse and worse. David's sin eventually ended up tearing his house apart. And the king they had now well, they, they wish they could go back to David's day. David had plenty of junk. David was guilty of his fair share of sinfulness, but things had gotten so bad, David looked pretty good about now. And so when Micah says that the new king will come up out of Bethlehem, all of his readers, at the very least, are going, hey guys, we're getting a new Davidic king. Hey guys, have you, have you heard? This one's coming from David. Yeah! Get rid of this guy in the office that we got now. We'll get us a Davidic guy. But this new king will have more than just pedigree. Look at the back end of verse 2 again. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from Ancient days. This king doesn't just have pedigree. This king is eternal. This king has been promised long before this moment. And Micah is not the first one to talk about him. This king will bring far more to the table than just a blue chip bloodline. He has been eternally promised. Look at verse 3. Therefore... He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. This is great news, right? The king is coming, but Micah throws on the brakes and says, Hey, don't get ahead of ourselves here. Judgment first. First, the pain. First, the heartache. First, the dark." But then after that, oh, hear me, church, after that, not only will God raise up this king, but he will will unite people back to himself. Even though the dark days scattered everybody, this new king will come and will be the one that we gathered around. The peoples will return, he says and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Here comes verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now, uh, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Micah says that this coming king will shepherd his flock. And all kinds of things we've got our heads fly into thinking about. Just knee-jerk reactions when we picture a shepherd. So he's going to shepherd his flock. So he's going to be a shepherd. Great. Want to lovingly and gently stand here this morning and tell you that the first thing you think about when you think of a shepherd is wrong. Yeah. At least the knee jerk the Bible's full of shepherd imagery um, there's a lot of characteristics about a shepherd and and Pretty much everything that you've probably heard is, is good stuff, right? A shepherd is to, to be gentle with the sheep. They, they know the sheep by name. They, they, they guide the sheep. They feed the sheep. They take care of the sheep. They, 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 they corral the sheep. They do all the things that a good shepherd does, right? And, and all those things are great and wonderful and absolutely 100% true. But that's not the primary job of a shepherd during this time period in history. Have you thought through this? What's the primary job of a shepherd? It's to protect the sheep, to guard the sheep. This is the Middle East, man. There's lions and bears and wolves and bad guys. This isn't an easy place to hang out and be a sheep. Sheep are slow and really, really tasty. (laughs) Like, if you had sheep, it's good. There's a reason it's expensive. They're not. These sheep aren't hanging out on some calm, grassy hillside. That shepherd's crook that you picture in your head. We've all heard the teaching that that, that hook part is, is to, to guide the sheep and maybe pick them up out of a crevice. We've, we've all sat under teaching like that. But listen, the other end of that stick was used as a weapon to beat off stuff that was trying to do harm to the sheep. Some of them had a big ball on the end of it and you would use it like a mace. The shepherd's crook is a weapon. The primary role of the shepherd is to protect the sheep from evil, protect the sheep from harm. Yes, all those other things are absolutely true. Right? Those aren't aren't non-things. Those are absolutely characteristics of a good shepherd. They love and they care and they provide, but man, they also protect. And in verse 4, Micah is not talking about gentleness, is he? What does he say? And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell, what? Secure. Secure. How many of y'all could probably quote Psalm 23 off the top of your head? That, that little line about walking through the valley, of the shadow of death, and not fearing any evil. Remember what comes after that? For you are with me, your rod and your, they comfort me. His Wait, wait, what? <laughs> your weapon comforts me. Because the good shepherd protects the sheep, right? The good shepherd protects the sheep. The psalm writer links fearlessness with the presence of the shepherd and his big stick. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the Lord, of the earth. Security does not rest in the fact that they found a relatively safe hillside to hang out on. Security flows out of the character and competency of their good shepherd holding the big stick. That leads to the first part of verse 5. And he shall be there. What? For the follower of Jesus Peace is not an abstract concept. And to take it a step further, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace emanates out of the perfect character of our perfect and eternally good king. You ever watched the kid be thrown into the air by his dad? Like, I'm sure you did that. But have you ever, like, zeroed in and specifically watched the reaction on the kid's face? Just paid a close attention to that. Maybe. Um, I've got a picture of my kids. Can you, Ethan, can you put that up? I happen to believe, you may, you may be biased as well, but I happen to believe I'm a gold medalist when it comes to that. What's on their faces? Like, you can't see Livy's. Will's having a good time. There's usually three groups of people in these pictures. There may be other people, but we can kind of give it three broad categories. You've got the mom who's standing off frame, freaking out. <laughs> you've got dad who's having a good time with it, but trying to be really careful because, you know, reasons. Um, but then you've got the kid, man. The kid is lost in the joy of it all. He's not trying to think through the dangers or the what-ifs. Just having a good time. They're letting daddy take care of that, right? They're they're trusting dad in that moment because they trust his goodness in that moment. They trust that, that he's gonna do good for them and he's gonna do what he can to protect them in that moment, right? They trust. Security exists in the heart and the eyes of those kids, not because they're doing something to pull it off in that moment. They're not bringing anything to the table other than a 20 pound weight. By the way, you can't do that more than about three times before you're done. (laughs) Kids aren't bringing anything to the table to secure themselves in that moment other than trusting the character of their father. Right? Here's here's where my analogy breaks down, though. I'm going to work my tail off to stall the day as long as possible But we live in a Genesis 3 world. And I'm not as faithful and as trustworthy as the good shepherd. And my kids are eventually going to learn by experience that I'm not as trustworthy as they once thought. Whether they're talking about throwing them in the air or wrestling around the house or just anything, man. I don't have it in me. To be as faithful as they always need me to be. I can't live up to the demands of a perfect shepherd, but follower of Jesus. You and I long for a day, probably not too far away now, where He who is perfectly faithful and true. Take his post. And we can have peace today because we know what peace lies in store for us. Verse 5. And he shall be their peace. His first coming, the world found a level of peace. I don't think it had seen before, but man, when he comes again, our definition of peace is going to have to expand a little bit. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's a firm confidence in who our good shepherd is. So how do we respond to God's word this morning? If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you press into God, right? You press in by taking all those times in your life that have left you fearful or left you humiliated, and you put them squarely in the category of temporary disturbance. Because we anticipate a day when he will make all things new. And even though the dark day is coming and may be here, our God is the God of the butt. You press in by giving yourself over to the care of this great shepherd king, I mean, is there anything that you would fear placing in his hands? I mean, let's, let's think through that for a second. Is there, is there anything that you would fear entrusting him with? Can we, can we be honest? It's because you fail to see him correctly in that moment. Just, just what it is, right? So we, we give ourselves over to him. We place ourselves in his hands. I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, you respond, however God might be calling you to respond this morning. If you need somebody to talk to or pray with, we, we'd like to have a couple of people up front here to do that with you. And, and so if that's, that's good for you, come forward during that time. What if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus? Man, I'm glad you're here. I say all the time that I hope you find this to be a place that's safe to work through the truth claims of Jesus and his gospel. We're just going to keep throwing them at you until you finally submit. In love. But come hang out. Maybe today though is the day that you want to trust the good shepherd yourself. Place yourself in the hands of the shepherd who knows all of his sheep by name. And wants you to be a part of his flock too. You do that by repenting of your sin and calling on him as Lord. Come to him this morning and let him be who he is and always has been and always will be. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. If you need somebody to talk to, help you work through that, we'll have some people down front. Let's do that now. Everybody respond to God's word as God leads them. God, you're good to us. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for Micah. Thank you for being a God of the butt. God, in our own hearts, and our own actions, there are times that I don't look too different than 8th century Judea. There are times in my heart and my actions where I don't look too different than everything that angered you there. But you are faithful and you are true and you're drawing those to yourself. So God, would you draw us close this morning? Would you show off your bigness, show off your goodness, show off your great care for us? Would you give us peace this morning? A peace that goes far deeper than just the absence of conflict. Would you help us see us? Would you help us see you as you are and thereby come to trust you? God, for those who are here who don't know you yet, would you reveal yourself to them right now? Would you change people's eternities today? Would you draw people to yourself? Would you make your name famous? God, in your name we pray. Amen.